throws it. Alley. Oh! He puts it down. He puts it down. It's over. Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show for Monday, October 2nd. I am Chris Manning. That is Brennan Clean. We have a special guest, dare I say, number one friend of the program, Wes Goldberg's with <laughs> us to talk about the Miami Heat and do their season preview at the team that didn't make any big trades, uh, which Wes has done really <sighs> good work covering over at Lockdown Heat, and he just sighed deeply about YouTube views, though, off the track on Lockdown Heat, Wes. Just so, you know, that, you got some, you got, you got some angry people. I, I, you got some very angry people in the YouTube comments and being yeah. very rational on the internet, I'm sure. Uh, but we're going to start with your holiday trade. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, tough. All right, start with the Drew Holiday trade. He, I hope to lord someone in the Portland organization has a Drew Holiday jersey printed for themselves that they can like wear to a festival at some point or like sell on eBay under like a pseudonym because he's there for four days. He is going to the Boston Celtics in exchange for Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, and some picks. Here's how I want to frame this to start. To and Wes, tell me if this is, if you think this is accurate or not i think the celtic ceiling might have just gotten higher but i mm-hmm. think their floor might be a little lower now i think that's really fair and i think that is the exact thing that the boston celtics would tell you too right i think that's sort of the bet that they're making i think they're okay with it like they're the floor for the last few years has basically been the eastern conference finals but their ceiling has been pretty clear you know they did make the nba finals a couple of years ago but they needed to make some real changes the the Kristaps, like trading Marcus smart for Kristaps Porzingis was kind of just landscape altering enough for them. So to make this deal, just they, they're doubling down, tripling down, however you want to frame it. I love the trade for Boston. I really do. I, I to me, I'm, I'm like just if the goal is to win a championship, raise the ceiling. Who cares about the floor? You know, because best case scenario, you win the championship. Worst case scenario, you fail. And it doesn't really matter. It's sort of like if you're not first, you're last. Right. What's the difference if they be, if they finish second? In the Eastern Conference, if they go to the NBA Finals and lose, or if they finish, or if they're a first round and out team, there's no difference between all that stuff. As, if, as long as you're not winning the championship, so their bet is, hey, we got to go win a championship. We haven't had the stuff to get it done the last few years. Let's go get that stuff to get it done. And if it backfires, it backfires. I love the way that Brad Stevens has operated since becoming GM here. Like we we know that there's a question, open question, if Jalen Brown is long for this team is he finishing the contract extension that he just signed as a member of the boston celtics i think most of us kind of feel like you know maybe 55 45 no right because of the second apron and everything else but i love that they have just continued to tinker around that basically almost every other possible player now has has flipped over over the past few years and they basically traded marcus smart malcolm brogdon Robert Williams and one first round pick for Drew Holiday and Chris Saps Porzingis, right? Like that's that's effectively what happened in the course of two transactions. And I think any team in the NBA would would do it if you if you say it that way. Um, I love that Holiday reintroduces uh, an actual ball handler, even though he's maybe not the peak of what that player type can be. Like we just got done talking about how Milwaukee upgraded in that department, but I think the Celtics needed their own version of an upgrade and he still is that for them. Um, And obviously they're now really, really, really dependent on Porzingis, not only being healthy, which is a question mark, but good. Uh, Cause their, their, their front court now 
turned out from being a major strength with Williams playing a huge part in it to being reliant on a you know 37 38 year old Al Horford and a very inconsistent and very you know uh, irregularly healthy Chris Saps Porzingis uh, so there there is a, a a floor here that can maybe fall out for them but I, I I agree with Wes it's just especially for that team you can't keep playing the margins and, and trying to kind of you know nickel and dime your way into a championship it's like throw together a team that yep. if everything hits like you'll just run away with the title and i think that that's kind of on the table for them if they get a peak season from all these guys like they're going to be incredibly hard to beat on both ends of the floor so why not get your uh defensive player of the year votes in now or like the money on uh drew holiday now because like the boston media mafia like awarded marcus smart the defensive player of the year a couple of years ago drew holiday is like light years better of a defender than marcus smart is so like it's done. Let me man. guess, like, Wes. Should should Bam have won that award? Is that maybe? Uh, you know where I stand. Is that maybe where? You're... <laughs> you know where I stand oh. on that. What's funny is uh, I actually like can't even. I have to sit that argument out because a lot of Suns fans would say McHale should have won it because he was second that year, and I don't think so. So uh, <laughs> I, I I think just, big men should win that award. You're just you're just saving all your ammo for the use of Nurkic DPOI campaign this year, right? That's where this mm, is yeah. going to end up. Yes. Well, it's exactly sort of interesting right. that both Phoenix and Boston basically punted on centers. They're just like, you know what? We don't even care. And so I don't look. I, I think Boston can still do the buyout thing this year, right? It'll be next year where they can't really add anybody on the buyout market. So there's always centers out there. Dwight Howard's available and and raising his hand to anybody that will look in his direction. So he well, um, he's also just like in Taiwan, like Instagramming every little thing that he's doing over there. And I'm I just would like, put this guy, like, all of the money that I have that he ends up on either Phoenix or Boston by the end of the season. Like it just it has to have. It's it's already there. It looks like it look. It's perfect. Boston can always circle back to Blake Griffin too, but I don't think they'll do that. So I don't know. I, I like I love I love when people just go for it, and they're just going for it, you know. And like we'll see what happens with Kristaps Porzingis. Al Horford will give you twenty good regular season games, and maybe he shows up for half the playoff games. Maybe that's all they need from him. Like it's enough. They'll figure it out. The other thing I think that's really interesting to think about with with Boston is you go back to the Emi Udoka season. That was their their strength that season was the defense. That was the path for them becoming uh, on the, on that ascent that year. That defense is now just like it's gone. Like any version of like what they could run that season, just like you can't do that with this personnel now. It's because Grant's gone too, who we haven't even mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Grant's yeah. gone. You have Porzingis can't switch. I don't think you really want Horford switching a ton, maybe in emergencies, but like you're not going to design your scheme around Al Horford switching. No, they're gonna they're gonna suddenly be throwing out like a ton of zone and just really gonna, look yeah. like entirely what are they different. End up starting because I, I guess it was going to be Porzingis and Robert Williams. I think was sort of the projected starting lineup there. Now, obviously, one of those guys are gone. Do you just go small? Is it just uh, Jalen Brown and Tatum at the forward spots, and then you got Drew Holiday and Derek White probably with Porzingis at center? So you could basically just run Probably. the Milwaukee defense, but have Porzingis play the Brook Lopez role, is what I would think. And then you have Drew Holiday and Derek White just fighting over literally every screen and funneling all those ball handlers towards Porzingis. I think it's going to be a lot of that. The Milwaukee defense with no Giannis as a as a help defender, right? I mean, that's that's it's asking the tough a lot part. of yeah. It's asking a lot of Jalen and, and Jason Tatum, right? And that's sort of mm-hmm. also the bet that Boston has made is like, hey guys, we love you. You guys have been great. We need more. We know what we need more from yeah. a leadership role. We need more on the defensive end, more consistently and whatever. The, the regular season is the regular season. All this is about the playoffs. That's what all this stuff is about is the playoffs. And you look at a guy like Drew Holiday, too. If you think that you're going to end up meeting Milwaukee for a round, he's a great guy to guard Dame. So 
I think that helps. And Chris, I think we should hit on Portland, but I think this this moment for a team like the Celtics is always like one of my favorite things from a roster building standpoint in sports. Like you think of the kind of what the Chiefs have had to go through recently, the Seahawks before that, you could go Patriots in football. It's a little more logical in football because I think players move less and the quarterback pay stuff obviously dictates a lot of it but that moment when it's like you go from having an embarrassment of riches on your roster for whatever reason you you luck out with some draft picks you get a cheap quarterback you do whatever to all of a sudden it's like all right like the QB in in that sport has to do more with way less and the the greatest players just kind of figure that out like LeBron can win a championship with Wade and and Bosch or he can win a championship with various versions of less than that right like and so i think it's a it's a cool kind of inflection point for them but of course like i don't want to make it seem like porzingis and holiday and Derek white and and on and on are like some sort of huge downgrade but i think it's it's correct to say like all right like if if you're if we're going to win a championship like you got to at least get close to Nikola Jokic or you know Devin Booker or Kevin Durant or whoever you want to say Luka Doncic like that that's who you are then like that's who you are um but the Portland side I'm fascinated by, and I, I kind of, it's like hard to stay on the court with them. I guess I mean, maybe the transition point is. There's, there's no interest to them on the court. The interest no. is what other assets can they, can they, can they get for Rob, assuming they, they want to trade Rob. And what they I think they should Rob? keep Robert Williams. That's exactly where I was about to go. I think if that guy can ever stay healthy, I think there is a massive ceiling that has not been reached for him. I think he is way better than Joe Missoula seems to think he is. And I feel like there is a lot more to his game. Obviously, I know the health thing is a massive caveat, but as a, as a passer, as a switch defender on the perimeter more than, than just being a rim protector, you know, obviously the, the role man scoring stuff is there. Um, but like I would keep him if I'm the Blazers, even if he's just your backup to Aiton and maybe they play together a little bit. I would just keep him because I think he's good enough that you might be selling a little low right now, if I'm being honest. He's got three more years on his contract, a really, really good number. He's only 25, I think. He'll be 26. And then, um, so yeah, I, there's no reason to trade him. But then again, like if, if it's at around the trade deadline and there's a contender in need of a center and they're offering a first round pick, if you're Portland, I think you at least have to have a meeting about it. Um, what do you guys think about the return overall? Obviously, I'm very close to this, uh, but. Oh, I, the, the, I, I have a line prepared for this that's going to trigger you. Let's go. Give it to us. This was way better. They did way better here than anything that Miami could have ever given them. This is just significantly better than anything Miami is going to get them. It's not even I, close. It just, I, not close. I thought the same thing at first, and then I started digging into it a little bit more. And look, we have no idea. First of all, I just want to point this out. This is the only superstar trade in the history of any sport where we compare it, the, the, the success of the trade, to a hypothetical offer that we're not even really sure ever happened. Like, we're not judging <laughs> this had- as, as if this is fair value for Damian Lillard. We're not ju- – nobody is judging yeah. it that way. Nobody. Well, literally Aaron nobody. Aaron, Aaron Goodwin's out here doing, like, ops for the Heat for an office being like, they definitely tried to get him, and it's like, we're never going to see anything like this again. Like, honestly, we're never going to see anything like this again. It's just like Portland fans don't even care if the return is good. They just care that the return is not from Miami. Like it's and I think the Trailblazers front office thinks the same thing. Anyway, the point being, I think the offer is actually pretty comparable once again. We don't know what was actually reported, but now after or or what was actually real, but reported afterwards that the Heat were willing to include three first round picks, some good players and some some young players. Right. And basically and maybe flip Tyler here to a third team, et cetera, and that they could have gotten the DeAndre and could have been part of this deal no matter what. So I'm I'm just going to, by default, DeAndre Ayton heads to Portland, and regardless if Miami or it's Milwaukee, whatever. 
But okay, Portland right now has three first round picks and Robert Williams in return for Damian Lillard, right? It's basically what they have. If you separate the DeAndre okay. thing out. Sure. Okay. Miami was prepared to offer three first round picks and like Nico and whatever they get for Brogdon. I think that has to be included. Maybe I would be very pick. surprised if they get anything of value for Brogdon. Okay. Brogdon is one of those guys that the like the internet loves and like the actual NBA <laughs> has already spoken. Like nobody likes him. I'm like I'm not, I'm not even trying to be mean. Like it just is. Like no, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Is he Landry Shamit but with like better rep? Is that <laughs> what we're saying? He's Landry Shamit but plays less. You know, like he's just, yeah. that's basically his whole thing. Um, uh, seems like a nice guy, but look, I just if Miami was going to offer three first round picks and Nikola Jovic, what we're really talking about is would you rather have Nikola Jovic on a rookie scale contract or Robert Williams on this deal? And look, I, I that's up to debate. I think either side could be fair. It just depends on what you think of Jovic, who's complete unknown, or what you think about Robert Williams, who's obviously older on a second contract and has injury problems. I would probably honestly lean Robert Williams. I'd rather have him, but. It just sort of depends. But if that's what you're really splitting hairs by, I think the well, offers are just comparable. And if you just would have done it with Miami, it would have just been faster. So what I think the distinction is, is how you feel about the Celtics and Bucks picks that they did get. And they're worse than the Miami picks. You think yeah. so? I mean, you get a 2024 Warriors pick from Boston, which is not going to be worth a whole lot. Yeah, that one I don't think matters. But the, 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 the Celtics Boston own pick and the Bucks own pick. And the Bucks' own pick could be worth something. That's the most of, of the three. That's the one that with the most variance, right? That Boston mm-hmm. pick's going to be like twenty-three or something. Like it just is. Tatum like, will be there. Yeah, they're going to be good, you know. So uh, the Miami picks. That's like a bet on Miami tanking or not tanking, I should say, but like post Jimmy Butler not being good. And there's this idea out there that the Heat are always good. And I'm like, yo, they were in the lottery three years in a row after the big three. That's why there's Bam and Tyler Hero on that team. They're not like not allowed to be in the lottery. There's not some like weird NBA rule that the Heat aren't allowed to pick in the lottery. They pick in the lottery like all the time, actually. It's not that rare. So yeah, um, yeah I just like once Jimmy Butler's gone and then obviously if it was this hypothetical Damian Lillard older and gone, those picks could have definitely been worth something. So I don't know that there's enough to me looking at those picks where I'm like, oh yeah, no, those picks are definitely more valuable than those picks. It's just, it's, it's a crapshoot. It's going to be completely random. Yeah, I think the other part would just be, you know, could it have worked with Aiton on the on the Heat side? Like as a as a person who you know is vested in the in the Suns, you yeah. know, giving me what I've never gotten from them. Like I think that's a a better player would than a little. Caleb, of course, would you, would you rather have Caleb Martin or Grayson Allen? Yeah, Caleb Martin for sure. So yeah, yeah but you know, I, I guess that is a, a little bit of an if. But the question I wanted to pose to you guys that's a little bit you know bigger picture is like, I agree the package was better. But it's a little bit of a crazy state of affairs when a GM feels like he is like trying to upend an era of NBA player movement. That's kind of an insane thing to have happen that somehow the person occupying one of the sides of a negotiation is like the trying to take some sort of like big picture social statement stand against you know the culture of the nba like that's that's pretty insane and i was really ready to bash him for it if he hadn't gotten a good package but i guess now that he did it's sort of like two birds with one stone maybe he did finally you know prove prove his point and all that stuff and you know got got his team set up pretty well but yeah i was i was laughing at sean marks all last summer and then he kind of got a good package too so maybe these guys are uh, are on to something even though durant went where he wanted they they definitely 
finally coaxed everything they possibly could out of the Suns in a similar situation. So I don't know. Maybe the patience side of it is, uh, you know, a couple W's in a row here for, for those guys. This is like being like anti-toll booth. Like, I'm just not going to pay highway tolls, you know? And so you just take side streets. You kind of get to the place you're going to go, but it just takes a while longer. And at the end, you're like, I showed you toll booth. That's basically what Joe Cronin just did. He got what he was going to get for Damian Lillard from Miami if he actually went into negotiations. But so, like, credit to him, man. And you took the stand, and now you are, like, the hero of all small market GMs. And you've basically saved your job because it looks like you haven't caved, even though you basically got the same return that you would have gotten in the first place. So, dude, like clapping like congrats like you just saved your job that's great for you the the whole anti-player empowerment thing is really interesting though because if you do zoom out i think this is good for the nba right i think it is like because you look at the ben simmons thing he lost reportedly i can't remember who reported it 20 million dollars uh for just not playing and he was trying to get all the money back and they were like dude you didn't show up to work you don't get to have all your money back you're gonna lose 20 mil and that's what happened um yeah you look at the James Harden situation, how it's playing out with Daryl uh, Morey right now. He's sort of taking a very has, similar stand, right? Like he, He's out of Wiggles. He, James Harden is out of Wiggles, to quote Kevin Garnett. Out of the Wiggles. It's great. I, you know what? He doesn't seem that wiggly to me. Just like Harden? No. He's only he's interested in other people wiggling in his vicinity. <laughs> he's into Wiggles. He doesn't want to do the Wiggles, right? So, he's um, interested in throwing singles for Wiggles. He's, he's more single for Wiggles. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um on the spot I, it is, but it is i think there's 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 this sort of shift going against player empowerment because remember guys we all remember the line oh you don't want to piss off stars other stars in the nba are watching that always came from agents like hey my stars are watching and it's like you know what the stars don't really care the stars are going to just do whatever the stars want to do and what and, and we learned that when lebron went back to cleveland right after the owner of the comic sans letter he was like i actually i don't really care i don't really care because this is where i want to play and i don't i don't really care that the owner is being a bleep hole like i just don't care i'm just gonna play where i want to play and it doesn't matter to me so yeah there's this whole like there there used to be that idea and it feels like now front offices are like you know what we're just gonna do what's right for the organization because we can't bet that any star is gonna feel one way or the other about our organization at any some random point that maybe this player wants to come here it just it doesn't it never really made sense in the first place i never really bought it in the first place honestly so i think it's good for the nba because i do think it was getting out of hand i really i do and it's a little bit of a market correction well if i want to like project this forward for a second but like the next one of the next possible stars that could one out is donovan mitchell right he could in a yeah. year be like i'm not signing the extension i'm gonna hit free into the cast might feel obligated to trade him if you're kobe altman at that point you absolutely can't just acquiesce to him for fear of like pissing off his agent because you also have to look Darius Garland and Evan Mobley in the face and be like, hey, I'm helping you guys to win even though Donovan wanted out. Mm-hmm. There's going to be other situations like that. Now, like Philly might be different. Um, obviously, like Portland is just like worried about its future in a big way and maybe also catering to its fan base. But there's going to be situations where they ha- these teams have to make trades and they have to look the players that are still around and being like, we're not like abandoning. If the Knicks want to do something, they like they have to look Jalen Brunson in the face and be like, there's a bigger plan here. Like there is going to be a balancing act that I think it's going to be interesting to see how these people, how these people. Could they know. just not? Could they just not trade Donovan Mitchell? Even if he tells them, hey, I'm not going to sign the extension. Like Cleveland's good. Like why? Why would you just punt on a year where you can maybe go to the finals or get to the Eastern Conference Finals just because you're afraid Donovan Mitchell is going to leave? Like when you be like. Instead of trading, I'm just like, I agree. hey, just leave. If you want to leave, leave, man. Like you're a free agent, but we're gonna, but like, like give it, give us your all for this year. Like there is an argument to be made that the value in just having Donovan Mitchell for one more year is greater than what 
you could get for him in a trade. Again, it just depends on what sort of packages are coming back, and that would be up to the front office to kind of figure out. But I don't. I well, wouldn't so, just like like in Sharpie be like, yeah, we have to trade Donovan Mitchell if he doesn't sign the extension. Yeah, I think to me it just kind of circles back on like we're kind of developing what the baseline of of who you have to capitulate to is and in what circumstances you might have to capitulate, right? Like I think it's higher than Jay Crowder. We know that it's higher than Jay Crowder. It's like Lillard was unique. And I think that public uh, perception did go against him because of the stubbornness that Aaron Goodwin was displaying because of the unseemliness that Duran had to deal with of like the whole, he signed his extension and he didn't have to. And of course now he wants out and like, I don't really love that fully but okay like I guess it it has seemed to work against those guys I think Lillard as a person and as his stature in the NBA is past that baseline but I think maybe some of those circumstances worked against him but you know like I think Joel Embiid will be an interesting case study is he somebody that the one because of Daryl Morey but two because if he does eventually ask out and, and whatever the situation ends up being there it's like do teams feel like it's going to burn bridges around the NBA to like, quote unquote, disrespect Joel Embiid by being the team to trade for him when he didn't ask to come there or by the Sixers getting rid of him. And I don't know that answer. I think Durant is above that line. Like it's Kevin Durant. He's a legend. Like if you do wrong by him, quote unquote, in some kind of way, like I do think that will be held against you. But like is Donovan Mitchell above that line? I don't think Donovan Mitchell is above that line. So like our teams, our players going to be like, oh, they did spite a dirty. No, I, I don't really think so. Right. Like, I think he's probably not there. So maybe that's part of what's happening, too. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, we're we're probably ready to talk heat, Chris, I think, from a time standpoint. Yeah, let's move on to talk about the one Miami Heat, uh, who a team that, again, has stayed pat. They get Tyler Hero back from injury and that's where I want to start with this. Yeah. I, I do just want to say, I, I kind of think that Tyler Hero might be the most important player on this team this year because they didn't trade him. They need mm-hmm. him to do something important for this team to recreate some of the success. And he's the one variable they didn't have for much of last season. And I think he also is someone that's probably going to come in based on his tweets and based on just what I kind of feel like I know about here. I think he's going to come in with an edge. And I, I, I think it's I think he's the answer for this. Yeah, he's got like the biggest chip on his shoulder right now. Uh, he has been dangled in trade talks for now at least two summers. The Heat front office went out of their way, Pat Riley specifically, in his annual end of season press conference in June, went out of his way to call Tyler Hero basically a franchise building block. And um, I found that very interesting at the time. And the way I read it at the time was he is protecting Tyler Hero. I don't. People are like, oh, he's just talking him up for other front rival front offices. Like, what front office is going to be? Like, oh, he's calling him a building block now. I completely changed my opinion about Tyler Hero. Like, no front office acts like that. Uh, I think he was doing it for Tyler Hero. Like, that's who he was talking to in that press conference, um, knowing that very well that they could dangle him in trade talks. But if it didn't work out, that um, that he wanted to have that out there in the public. Like that entire Pat Riley press conference was hedging in the case that the Damian Lillard trade did not get done, and we see now. Why? Because they couldn't get the deal done. So um, I think Tyler Hero's whole thing is fascinating. I do expect him to come. People are wondering if he's going to come back and if he's going to play hard and all these things. Like I, I'm with you, Chris. I think he's going to come back and he's just be like, if you don't want me, somebody's going to want me and I'm just going to show up everybody. And by the way, I'm making $20 million this year. So F you. Like, it's just, I, I he, he he's just so used to it now, you know? And, and I think that does sort of fuel him. And, you know, 
the locker room wasn't trying to trade him. You know what I mean? Like Eric Spolstra necessarily was not trying to trade him. Like, like you could still be in there and just be like, Hey, management sucks, but we're all in this together employees. You know what I mean? So um, I think it'll be fine. I also don't think do th- those players are going to like, let him take no like, way F around. Right. Yeah. He'll get benched. I mean, he literally, like, if he just like stops playing defense or something, like he'll just get benched and that'll be it. I do think two guys know like kind of the hierarchy of things. And it's like, it's one thing if you're being dangled in trade talks for like, I don't know, even drew holiday, you know, but it's right. like, it's Damian Lillard, you know, like I think Tyler hero would do that trade. Even if yeah. it's sucks to deal with, I think two to your guys's point, like Miami has a certain tolerance for allowing that stuff to become a problem. And it's like, even if they kind of created the problem, they're going to expect everybody to go right back to business, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's not maybe going to have the the luxury of, of figuring it out. But uh, so my question with him, though, his numbers have been like, I think he's just a really good offensive player, like period. And I think he provides a little bit more in terms like he can stay out there and be part of a good team defense. He's shown that I think, um, you know, his size, he rebounds, like he, he affects the game in some other ways. His offensive game has rounded out, I think, you know, but my question would be, you know, he is 23 going on, he'll turn 24 this year. What's the way that his game moves forward from here? I think that's to me, like aside from just, okay, do it in the playoffs, which is a little bit of a, of a real reasonable thing to ask of him. Cause I think he has had a little bit of a dip when the postseason comes around. So that's one aspect, but Wes, what do you think is like the next step for him? If he's going to improve as a player, become like that bonafide franchise building block, earn his full, you know, contract and be plus value on his deal, whatever way you want to look at it. Uh, Running pick and roll. That's where it is for him. Uh, The Miami Heat's problem. I know they made the finals run last year, but they won 44 games in the regular season and the regular season sucked. Like it was super frustrating to watch that offense because um, the, the Kyle Lowry thing, you know, we know this with older players. Once it happens, it happens. And he just wasn't the same guy anymore. And it became very apparent that he couldn't even start for that team. And obviously he had the, he had that long, like two month injury. So they had to start shifting their offense around. And what ended up being their best source of offense was Jimmy Butler. And it's always been their best source of offense. The problem is you can't just ask Jimmy Butler to do that in the regular season and carry that offense because you need him to do it in the postseason. And he's old and he's got the you know wear and tear on the tires and things like that. So you have to preserve him. So the entire year you had your like really efficient version of offense just standing there and Jimmy Butler, but you didn't want to overdo it. So they were trying to find this new version of like innings to eat up. Uh, what like what's our offense that we can just use to sustain us through the regular season? They ended up on the Tyler Hero Bam Adebayo pick and roll. And the problem with that is it was only okay. It wasn't a great source of offense, like per possession. There wasn't like total great efficiency numbers. It wasn't like Embiid and Harden, right? It was like, it was fine. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was just fine. And so Miami's highest usage version of offense was not their most efficient offense. And it was just sort of a strange place for them to be in. So that's why for Tyler, it would just be, okay, pick that up. Cause we know it's not Bam's problem, right? He might be the best screen setter in the NBA. He's a tremendous roller. He can finish above the rim. He developed that little mini shot and all those things. Tyler Hero just has to get better at finding the pockets, finding all that stuff, running that pick and roll, finding the cadence, picking his own spots to score out of that pick and roll set. Uh, That's what it all comes down to because if he can be sort of a rinse and repeat pick and roll ball handler, that changes everything. That changes everything for the Miami Heat because everything and then everything basically just snaps into place. Do you have a? Is your answer Tyler Hero, Brendan? 
just to, to be sure. Yeah, I had Hero too. I mean, I think we should mention Jimmy Butler, who had statistically one of his better seasons ever in the regular season last year. But when I tried to think about, okay, what happens if he's not as available, if he's not quite as efficient on and on, and it's like, well, the next place you have to look is you would expect Hero to pick up that slack. So I, I just landed on Hero for that reason. Um, but it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch him this year, I think, for, for, for narrative reasons, but also as a basketball player. Yes. All right. Let's move on. Talk about player. We're going to be talking about the end of the season. Wes, mm. who, who, who are you going with for this answer, this question? So I want to, I was trying to figure out, you guys sent me the questions beforehand and I was like, okay, what's the spirit of this question? Cause obviously we'll be talking about Jimmy Butler cause he's actually going to be eligible for an extension next summer. So we'll be talking about that. Mm. We're always talking about Bam out of bio and why he got snubbed for defensive player of the year. And so, uh, but I wanted to avoid the obvious ones um, and Tyler hero included. So I just, I'm going Haywood Highsmith. I think he's a really good player. I think defensively, he might be one of Miami's best four defenders like right now. Offensively, he's basically a zero. Uh, but they have him watching like film on P.J. Tucker for the last two years, and they've been working on his corner three a lot. And he only made the corner three last year at a 31% clip. If he can get that higher up to like 37 38%, where it's a legit weapon, he could go from maybe like fringe rotation guy to potentially starting at power forward. Like that's what we're talking about in terms of the variance on Haywood Heisman this year. Uh, and I'm going to bet on it. I like it. They keep him. They like the heat will just cut bait if they don't think you got it. And they've kept him around now for three years um, for a reason. Right. And so uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing if Haywood Highsmith, especially in training camp this week in Boca Raton, like if, if the reporting out of training camp is, oh, yeah, that three is here, and this dude is like legitimately competing with Kevin Love to maybe even start the regular season as, as their starting power forward, I think that's totally in the cards for him. Chris, you're the, our resident uh, Midwesterner here. Do you know sure. about uh, Wheeling, West Virginia? <laughs> Do I know about Wheeling, West Virginia? It was near where I went to college in beautiful Athens, okay. Ohio. Is that a and, Jesuit school? Uh, like a Catholic Wheeling school. is a so Wheeling is yeah. a Jesuit school. The, one of the best athletes of my rough time at where I went to high school played went and played Division three basketball at Wheeling Jesuit. Was his name Haywood Highsmith? Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> Haywood Highsmith is the only NBA player ever to come from that university, which is not exactly a surprise considering I didn't know that city existed until I clicked on the university next to his name on Basketball Reference. But uh, yeah, that is the spirit of the question, Wes. That is kind of what Nailed we it. try to hit on. Although sometimes, you know, it's like this guy's going to get traded or whatever. It's kind of inevitable. But I had Nikola Jovic, you know, not exactly yeah. an under the radar person because of the trade uh, talks. But, you know, when you just look at the fact, uh, you know, he was a fairly well-regarded prospect in the first place. And then he went out at the FIBA tournament and shot 42% from three, 57% overall, and had, you know, nearly three assists to, to one turnover on a team that won the second place in the whole thing. Like, that, that is about as, as solid as you could ask for for somebody who I think kind of outplayed what I would have expected even his role to be on that team, let alone actually yes. producing within that role. So he really has, has kind of leapt up in my in my expectations. I think the obvious other one would be Hawkes, but Jovic has played in more games and you know going into his second season. And then, two, to your point about Love and, and Highsmith and, and whatever, a little bit more of a pathway to, like, if he really hits, then they... They need that. Like they need kind of help at that spot, maybe more so than wing. So I think that that all kind of coalesced for me to, to pick Jovic. And I mean, do you think he'll play? Like, is he going to be playing minutes opening night or where, where is he in the pecking order right now? 
Uh, I think he's going to play. I think he. I think it really helped that Eric Spolster was also a part of the FIBA World Cup and got to see Jovic uh, up close and in person during the tournament. I know that they had several like meals together during the tournament as well. So I think they got closer in a way that they didn't obviously weren't able to during Jovic's rookie year where he was mostly hurt. Um, he could start too. I'm ta- we're talking about people who could start power forward. It wouldn't surprise me if by end of the year he was starting at power forward for them. Like his feel for the game is so advanced. He's just so young and he plays really young. It's like the decision-making part is sometimes questionable, but I was really impressed with what he did in FIBA because he just played a role that was w- much closer to what the Heat are asking him to do than what he used to do uh, in international ball, where he was kind of like a lead ball handler for his teams growing up. And this was much more of like all, all those threes that you're talking about, Brendan, were like catch and shoot threes, like all of them were catch and shoot threes. That's going to be much more in line with what he's doing at the NBA level. So uh, I think it could be a really big year for Jovic. Who he might even be better than Robert Williams. Ooh, like that take. Uh, my, love, <laughs> love the splice, Wes. Uh, my, my, my answer is whichever one of Haywood highs within Jovic actually asserts themselves. It's like that's yep. the answer. Like that, like – Kevin Love is a Hall of Famer. I think he was great for them and really yeah. useful for them. Almost like he could have helped a team that made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Or his old teammate James Jones, who, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but, like, there's clearly a need for, like, a little more athleticism, just a little more juice, maybe just a little more, like, yeah. can go every night, full go. And, like, you can, if one of those guys ascends, that's like, it's the cheeky answer that I thought about getting, but I'm just going to say just for to see is, like, whatever guy in Sioux Falls we've never heard of that's, like, hitting 45% <laughs> from three in January. It's, right. That's the other answer here. It could be. Yeah, Cole Swider. Watch out for him. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Just someone who's just like, I saw that guy play one college game randomly during the tournament, never thought of him again, and now he's like a starter for the Miami Heat. Right. Yeah. Could always be that. Yeah. Yes. All right. Best All right, case. Best lineup. No, oh, best sorry, lineup. Best lineup. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm getting yeah. ahead of myself. Getting ahead of myself. So Brendan, what do you got, Wes? Best lineup. I think what's the best lineup would... from last year? What is the best lineup? Oh, the best lineup from last year? last year, which, yeah, we like to do first. So yeah. high volume best lineup from last season was Vincent Hero, Martin Butler, Adebayo. Yeah. Uh, if you want to take Hero out of it, I guess it would be Lowry, Struess, Martin Butler, Adebayo. Um, if, if just, you know, uh, I think that would probably be different for the playoffs. I didn't pull that, but that's kind of what we're talking about. So what did you have, Wes? Well, I'm glad you mentioned Tyler Hero because I think a lot of people are sort of surprised by the fact that a lot of Miami's best lineups included Tyler Hero last year, the the high-volume lineups. Uh, I think the best lineup this year is going to be Tyler Hero, Josh Richardson, Caleb Martin, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. Uh, that's four very high-end defenders uh, and Tyler Hero, right? So you got four defenders to sort of cover up for his deficiencies, and then you have some legit scoring between, obviously, Jimmy, Tyler Hero, and if it's a good Caleb Martin night, then also Caleb Martin. Uh, and then, bam, obviously, you averaged 20 points per game last year. So, um, yeah, I, I think that lineup's going to be really strong for them. I don't think that that'll be, that'll be the starting lineup for them. I would probably pencil in Kevin Love uh, as a power forward and probably Josh Richardson at the two with Caleb Martin still coming off the bench. But that's going to be a lineup that they get to probably in, in every half, I would expect. Uh, maybe even to end each half would be, again, Tyler Hero at sort of quote-unquote point guard, Josh Richardson, Jimmy Butler, uh, Caleb Martin, and Bam Adebayo. Yeah, I had I had the same thing and I I actually was thinking that it would start but your your read on it I'm sure is uh better and they did start love in the playoffs so uh you're probably right but I like that as their closing lineup and it's the best kind of two-way 
thing I think you can yep. cobble together here. The best playoff lineup, just to say it, was Lowry, Duncan Robinson, Martin Butler out of bio, which is just hilarious. Um, but what did you have, Chris? Uh, I'm, I have the same as Wes. I think this is pretty straightforward. I think there will be some lineups that just end up popping in ways we don't expect. I'm curious just to see you know, how they replace Shrews, how they replace some of the things that have gone. I think there, there's some, like some of the numbers when you look at them from their laps this year do have some weirdness to them. Like Victor Oladipo was just like randomly in like a bunch of their most used lineups last year. And obviously he got hurt and, you know, it's gone yeah. now. Um, but I, I, I really just kind of think it's the, the, the core of this team. It's going to just be some, it's going to be Jimmy and Bam, obviously. I think Hero's that third peg on this version of that team. Mm-hmm. And then it's what other, other two pieces click in whatever way. Is it Jovic? You know, is it, High Smith, you know, is it Vin? Is it Caleb? Like, what? It, I keep. I, I've been confusing wings all night. Is it Kevin Love? Is it? They like Hawkes too. Else they like Hawkes yeah, a is lot. It Hockett, yeah, who was good in summer league. Like, just someone just ascend in a way that it's just like, sure. And I mean, I wouldn't. I still wouldn't count out that there's like just like the fifth starter on this team is right. someone they trade for in like three months. I would be very surprised if the roster right now is the roster that is their post trade deadline, right? I think this team has to make a move and they might have to make a move sooner rather than later, given the moves that their rivals in the East have already made recently. So uh, we'll see, but I think generally speaking, this team is already deeper than last year. I know that they lost Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, but you add Josh Richardson, you basically replace Max Struess with Josh Richardson, which I think is pretty even. I think that's just like a one for one almost uh, replacement. You do lose Gabe Vincent and that's tough because you don't really have a real other point like the only real point guard on the roster is Lowry I think they're going to continue to bring him off the bench uh like that was his best stretch last season was kind of managing his minutes in that way um but if you with Jovich being healthy with adding Hawkes uh Haywood Highsmith ready to probably take another leap uh and all these guys ooh, fire alarm uh I think they're a little bit deeper than they were um last Man, season <laughs> the Best case that I had revolves around trades as well. I think to me, Chris, the I don't see a lot of upside that, you know, Lowry and Duncan Robinson are going to pull magic out of their hat, uh, rabbit out of their hat one more time. So those guys being traded feels like a closer pathway to hitting hitting the highest of upsides. I don't think it's out of the question that like both Highsmith and Jovic hit and maybe they have to if they consolidate some of these players. So I, I look at all of that and just come to the conclusion that, you know, a best case scenario is that they stay afloat, consolidate into one more starting caliber, you know, if not a little better than that good starter caliber player at some point this season. And you by the end of April or, you know, by April, they're better than what we're talking about them being right now. But I don't know who that is. I don't really know what that all looks like, but that, that kind of feels like the best case. Cause otherwise if I'm just going based on this roster, like, probably pretty similar to last year uh honestly like can they get the sixth seed yeah that would be the goal i think yeah i think avoiding the play-in with this roster would be like a a great goal for them and i think there's a window there the other thing i would add is i i think the best version of this team is going to involve the best defensive season we've ever seen from a guy we haven't talked about that's bam out of bio who like if i had to pick today i might pick him for a defensive player of the year like, I, I think he's good enough where he is just going to win one at some point. And it's like, why yeah. not now? And why can't that guy be the anchor of what this team is? I think there's this team is, Wes, tell me if you think this is wrong, but I think there is a little bit of 
you got to take some of the responsibility to drag this team off of Jimmy's shoulders mm-hmm. and off of he's 34. Like at some point you yeah. do need more. And Bam is the obvious guy to do that. I think especially defensively tone setting wise. And I think a little bit more offensively if you can get it. Yeah. But I, I think the offense, it. I mean, how much more can the dude do on defense? He's like maybe Thing, the most versatile want, best defender in the NBA. I mean, just wanted the, I wanted to get rewarded. I think he's just like, it's one of those guys sure. that like, I should have defensive player of the year winner, like next to his CV on his yeah. CV. Let's get it to him. It's crazy. They didn't win it two years ago. Uh, but I do think, like, the thing with Bam is he is, you're right, like, he he's sort of just by default the guy that has to take some of that res- the scoring responsibility off of Jimmy Butler. And his reputation, because of that, has suffered a little bit. There's, like, a lot of people are like, oh, why can't he dominate and be, like, this 25-point-per-game score? Meanwhile, he is literally elite for at his position at literally everything else. Like, he is an elite passer at his position, you know, if you don't, Count Jovic like or Jokic because throwing off the scale, like he's an elite passer at his position. He is an elite screen setter at his position. I think he's the best defensive player in the NBA, so he's an elite defender at his position. Like he is elite at everything. Even his rebounding numbers, like the raw like per game numbers, aren't great, but his percentage numbers are amazing. Like they're the Heat's uh, rebounding percentage when he's on the court are great because he's guess what? He also had the most box outs in the NBA last year for a star, and he's doing that kind of thing. So he he's so elite at everything, and he's pretty good as an offensive player but he's not elite as just a scorer right um and unfortunately the heat are asking him to also be like hey all this stuff that you're elite at can you also be a 25 point per game scorer for us and that is so hard that that's basically you're asking him to be Jokic. you're asking him to be Giannis. you're asking him to be and there's just like not a lot of those kinds of guys so uh it would have been great if they could have gotten damian lillard and then all of a sudden you're asking him to do a lot less of that kind of stuff and he can just lean into being elite at all those things but they do chris to your point they just kind of need him to do it anyway. It sucks. Like, hey, I'm sorry we have to ask for you to do this, but you're also kind of the only guy that can do this, which is why, again, I go back to the the Tyler Hero band pick and roll. If you can kind of sp- like spread some of that responsibility into a two-man game instead of just like, bam, hey, can you get to the free throw line and hit a 15-footer like every other possession? It's just a little bit easier uh, on on bam for that reason. So, But I'm with you. I, he's got to win defensive player of the year at some point. Uh, I think he's an awesome player. And I think if you look at the Heat, they have two top 20 players in the NBA. I put Bam up there, you know, and it's just like, where does the third guy rank? And then what's the difference between the third and the fourth guy? Like they have two legitimately elite players. But if you were to do it, like when NBA rank comes out, like I'll be really interested to see, like, where does Tyler Hero come in? Is he their third best player? Are they going to put Caleb Martin as their third best player? Like, I don't know. And is that like the 82nd yeah. best player? That's just not going to be good enough, you know? Yeah. So the over under over under number is 46 and a half, which feels mm. super high. Uh, this team in the regular season last year was 41 win team statistically 44 team win team in the standings. And again, with what they got from Butler, the fact that they didn't add a huge piece, I just have a hard time seeing the path to the over unless you're telling me that there is some unforeseen trade, which, you know, that I think key fans will pull their pull their hair out if, if we talk too much about that uh, again. But so I don't know. I'm going under. I, I, I have a hard time making the case for the over. Chris, I want to hear what you have to say before I do my thing. I lean under just because I think there's a lot of like proof this all the posturing about the dame trade Mm -hmm. all of the 
indications about the, what this team believes in itself. And the fact that, like, Jimmy's going to miss some time. Yep. I just think they're probably going to be, like, we're the sixth seed and then get, like, the Knicks or the Cavs in the round one and be like, all right, we're going to kick the shit out of this team anyway. <laughs> um, like, they're just not going to care. They don't, like, they, every, like, Cleveland, New York, to a lesser extent, Boston, Milwaukee, all the teams that we think are ahead of them and that you should maximize the regular season as much as possible. Why did recent history tells us that he should not give an absolute shit as long as they're in fighting position to just then show up and kick ass? Yeah, getting in the playing tournament last year was their worst case scenario, right? And then they still went to the NBA finals. So um, I think that they'll be better than they were in the regular season last year. I don't know if that's going to be more wins. Uh, like, like statistically, they were not even a 44 win team. Like they were a bad team, right? And they won a lot of clutch time games. Like they were very good in clutch time. Uh, and Tyler Hero, by the way, was a big part of that. So, uh, but also their three-point shooting just went in the toilet. When the year prior, they were the best three-point shooting team in the league by percentage. The reality is probably somewhere in the middle, right? I don't think that they're as bad as they were last year, and I don't think they're as good a three-point shooting team as they were two years ago when they were the number one seed. So if that three-point shooting just like kind of revert, reverts back up to the mean a little bit more, that should just lead to a few more wins, I would imagine. But if the over-under is 46-and-a-half, I'll take the under. I think a lot of Heat fans would say, well, you know, the team, like they'll, they'll cite the three-point shooting numbers because that's a very popular number down here in Miami. And then, say, and then, like, that year, they won 53 games, right? So we're probably closer to the 53 games. My argument is, since Jimmy Butler arrived in Miami, they won 44 games, 40 games, 53 games, and 44 games, right? They've basically been a slightly above 500 team for most of Jimmy Butler's time in, in the regular season, yeah. most of Jimmy Butler's stint in Miami. So this is not a team that I don't think that they figured out that the regular season doesn't matter. Like, again, they don't want to be in the playing tournament. They would much rather be the number one seed than the eighth seed. But um, the goal should be, hey, let's just be healthy, as healthy as possible, especially Jimmy and Bam, be as healthy as possible getting into the playoffs. And let's just avoid having to do the play-in tournament thing because there's too much There's too much of a wild card there. So the answer is under. I don't know if I said that yet. Yeah, under, and yet no one's going to want to see them in round one. Right. Under and scary. Yeah, there's just they're 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 the Grim Reaper waiting for you for your playoff hopes if you're a team with that isn't Milwaukee. Like even if you're Milwaukee, like honestly after last year. Um if we could get Milwaukee Heat round one again, I would quite enjoy that. I'm good. I, don't, I know no, it's no, more no, narrative no. this year, but I'm fine. We've seen it. Can we just okay. not let Damian Lillard play the Heat? Because I just don't want to deal with that, man. I really don't want to Fine. do it. Fine. Cle- Heat Cavs, I can, like, just bitch about how they mess up the Kevin Love thing for, like, three weeks. Put it into my headlines on podcasts. And mm-hmm. if if Wes... Kevin Love sounds like a big that Jared Allen might actually be able to handle, Chris. So there you go. I, You know what? I don't, Did you watch Kevin Maybe Love not. play against the Knicks? I don't think so. Yeah, you know? who knows? One of those guys, like, Fair. throws elbows when he rebounds. One of those guys, like, doesn't. It's, it's, your, it's your nightmare. I was just trying to give you some hope. Look, uh, I, 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 look I, I, we'll see how Jared Allen does against, like, Yusuf Nurkic, and then we can, like, reevaluate this. There we go. Sounds good. There we go. All right. Wes, any, any final heat thoughts? Mm. Any, like, random player we didn't name? Any, anything mm. we didn't hit before we exit here? Uh, watch out for Orlando Robinson. They really like him. Um, would be like watch out. Like you don't have to watch out for him. It's fine. But just like you know, if you need like a 
fourth center on your fantasy team, maybe. I don't know. Um, and I think they should trade for James Harden. Boom. That's where I'm at. Oh, way to drop that bomb at minute, minute 47, <laughs> Wes. No, that's just that's just uh, doubling as a plug for his own show. That's that's all that okay. was. So go listen to Lockdown hear about, about that. that. Hear more about that on Lockdown Heat. Yeah. No, they should. They should uh, trade for James Harden. Go, just do it. Look, I, I, I want that because the, the spin jobs on Harden passing the conditioning <laughs> test would be some all-time bullshit. The hardest thing about this Heat team is that it's been basically the same team for three years in a row. And as reporters, like, it just sucks. Like, I'd be like, all right, these players are great and I like them and they're very nice and, and they're very great to deal with. Like, they honestly are great to deal with. Yeah. From the front of the roster to the back of the roster. Uh, but Jesus Christ, like, it's just the same <laughs> story. It's just the same thing every single year. Like, Kevin Love coming last year was like the greatest thing ever. It was like, wow, a new person to talk to. This is great. You know, like I just ugh. and even when they did get a new guy, it was Josh Richardson who'd already been here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But is Josh Josh Richardson being good again is like peak. If Josh Richardson is good again in Miami, it's like peak, like he cultures undefeated, like coming. He's going to start and play really well. And he's going to shoot like 38 percent from three. And people are going to be like, oh, my God, why was this guy in New Orleans? Like, this is crazy. Um, I think it'll be a fine year for the Heat. I think they should trade for James Harden. And um, I don't know. Whatever. I just like let's just get to the playoffs already. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, <laughs> all right. On that note, all right, we're gonna talk about WA playoffs and do our Lakers season preview coming mm. up next. Thanks again to our guy Wes Goldberg for coming through to talk about the Drew Holiday trade and the Miami Heat. Sure, we'll have Wes on again at some point. Feels like a lock, if I'm being honest. Turning our attention to the WNBA playoffs, Brendan, we have an NBA Finals matchup. W- we have a WNBA yeah. Finals matchup. Excuse me. We we got what we all kind of wanted. I think I've seen Brendan some tweets being like, "I'm bored by this series." Like I'm kind of I want to like I'm sorry. This is the best two players in the world. This is the two super teams. There's the John Quill Jones back in the finals factor. And, and I want to start with John Quill Jones. The Liberty beat the Sun in a very competitive game in Connecticut on Sunday to advance and go through. And for a player, mm-hmm. Brennan, that I think the first time we talked about her this year was that it wasn't totally clicking with her with the Liberty yet. It hadn't, didn't totally feel like it worked yet. She was the driver of why the New York Liberty won this game and are headed to the finals. And you could probably say the driver of why they achieved what they did this season, right? You know, I think Sandy Brondello, they say it on almost every broadcast when they get one-on-one time with the head coach of the Liberty, Sandy Brondello, that she has made no no secret of the fact that their season turned around around the All-Star break and the challenge that she issued to John Quell to get double-digit rebounds. Like, if you've watched any WNBA games this year, you have heard that story told, and she answered that challenge. And tonight, today, you know, 25, 15, and four blocks just unreal stuff. I do think that there was a little bit of emotion you could feel going against her former team in order to get back to the finals. That's a cool subplot of all of this. She was getting played incredibly physically by Alyssa Thomas, her former front court mate. And it's pretty admirable. I mean, I don't even, I don't know if it's even crazy to say she's kind of the story of this season in the WNBA, if I'm being honest, because the team that had the biggest adjustment period and a strange start turned their season around because of her. Like that is 
huge. And so she deserves a, a world of credit. And this team does too, because you could feel at times that they were going through this for the first time. There's nothing wrong with that, but at some point you kind of just need to execute the basics, rebound the ball, get easy, good shots, play good defense in order to win these tough games. And, and time and again, she was the one to kind of do that for them. So yeah, very, very huge salute to her. And, and obviously this team winning a series that looked a little iffy after that game one loss, but we're getting the series we wanted. Anyone who wants, who pretends to want the sun here, like WNBA media has a little bit of a, of a soft spot for the Connecticut sun in a, in a way that I don't fully understand. They've been in the finals. They've been in the conference or semifinals many times. We all respect this team. It is what it is, but come on. This is this is the the clash we all wanted from from January when they signed all their players. We're going to do I think a big WNBA finals preview come th- Wednesday show because the finals don't start for a week, so we have a little bit of time to process it, dive into some things. Yeah. Uh, but just to hit on the John Cole Jones thing again, 37 minutes, 7 of 14 from the field, 2 of 3 from 3, which is huge. 9 of 12 from the line, even bigger. 15 boards, 6 on the offensive glass, 6 mm-hmm. offensive rebounds. That's huge. 25 points, 4 blocks, a steal, 2 assists. Here's the one concern I have. Uh, the Liberty, Brendan, I think the Aces are going to have more than a week off. The Liberty, I think, almost need the week off more. So here's the minutes they played in this game which I think is going to be, to tip the hand a little bit towards the series preview, is a point of concern for me for both teams a little bit about like how long they can sustain some of these minute totals. Sabrina Eskew played 38. Vandersloot played 38. John Cole Jones played 37. Stewie and Laney played 40. Marie Johannes is just, Marie Johannes is just like not playing, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, it just doesn't. I, I understand if you're concerned about some defensive stuff with her. You're not getting anything from her. Thornton plays four. Dolson plays three. Maybe Dolson plays more against the Aces because they have Asia Wilson and they'll just want some minutes to throw another big out there. You could probably get away with two bigs at certain points against the Aces, I would suspect. Yeah, I think it's more a Stokes thing than an Asia thing. Right. But it's just like they're playing these really, really heavy minutes and it that I'm just kind of looking at this a little bit like, huh, are we sure about that? You know, like the I think you should leave meme. That's me right now. Mm-hmm. Are we sure about that? Yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how much it affects them. I think at at the same time, like the WNBA playoffs have a lot of of rest built in because they want to make sure travel does not become an issue, and they're also shorter than the the NBA playoffs, right? Yes. So you know, it's not two months of forty minutes seven game series. It is one month of three and five game series. Um, and and a, a little more rest, I would say, on the whole, especially if you take care of business. So <clears throat> we'll see if that becomes a, a factor in the series. But uh, on the Sun side, I think Alyssa Thomas does deserve a world of credit. I think Tiffany yep. Hayes deserves a bunch of credit for the way she played yep. in this series, frankly, too, because she was, a, she was a big part of why their offense hummed, but also a big question mark. But Alyssa Thomas goes out in this game with... You know, if you know her injury history and the fact that she has torn both of her labrums and you see an arm injury, you would be uh, reasonable to assume some scary stuff is going on. But she comes back because she is a, a freak and has just always kind of waved her, you know, Dikembe Mutombo finger at injuries. Just the entire concept of being hurt doesn't seem to uh, really exist in the universe that Alyssa Thomas occupies. Um, and also, I would say, and she had a triple-double. And then I would also tip my hat to Dijanae Carrington, who the story of game 
three was DJ Carrington getting into an argument with her teammates and everybody getting asked about it because the media loves nothing more than spats on the sidelines. And then she turns around after getting a couple DNPs and that whole storyline and scores 14 big points for this team when they really needed it. So if you look at why the Liberty couldn't play somebody or didn't think, I, I tend to agree with you that they could have played Johannes more, but you know why they didn't feel great about her or why Kayla Thornton didn't play a ton or why Courtney Vandersloot is not at her best in this series. It's because the the big perimeter players on this team, whether it is Hayes or it is Carrington or it is Ty Harris, who made a, a couple of huge threes late, were good enough uh, at the end of the day to on both ends to to really dictate the terms of the series and that's huge and and it really was the liberty having to overcome uh in order to win this more so than them just kind of like wiping the floor with their opponent which i think obviously is the case when you lose game one and have to eke out a couple victories so yeah they earned this one and it's cool to see because we thought maybe there was a version of this season where the liberty and aces just cruised and they definitely didn't they were tested and and i would say i think this is the kind of series this is the kind of trickery the kind of adversity i think is good for a team like liberty to go through i mean they kept repeating on the broadcast throughout the series how this team just came together that this team was just put together in a lab so to speak in the summer and they're here and they've had to go through some some stuff like i'm not like they didn't have any big injuries or anything like that they didn't have you know like you don't get like the the months of kind of in the trenches stuff that you might get with the WM playoffs, but you got as close as I think you can get to that with the structure of the W playoffs. And I think this series mm-hmm. in particular, it's like you took a punch in game one, you kind of, you didn't even get a great Stewie for, for much of the series. Like at least offensively, you didn't get the peak Stewie. Yeah. And you come out on top and you, you win the last three in a row to, to go home and to, to take this home. And now you're in the finals. That That's everything you could have wanted from the Liberty if they're, if the series was going to start the way it did. Did yeah, you, uh, the last thing I want to say, did you see the Skylar Diggins? We're going to, we're going to do a big season preview, but did you see the Skylar Diggins Smith tweet? Mm-mm. Okay. So I put it in our private chat in the, in stream where we record, but she tweeted at 6 7 PM. Uh, October 1st, 2023. At SkyDig4. This is the real, her real Twitter, which is harder nowadays. Thanks a lot, Elon Musk. She also deactivated it for quite a while, so it, it was uh, it was tenuous for a bit if you were getting the real version of her or she was even present on, on that website. Yeah. So she said, damn, it's almost like Sandy is a good coach. And with the the, the, the emoji, with the, the, the smiley face, like melting into the ground. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, for my money, Sandy Brondello is probably the most consistent and, and, and accomplished coach in the league. I think the versatility and adaptability she's shown as a head coach this year, you know, we talked a lot earlier in the season about how the simplicity and, and getting kind of a little bit more basic with the offense went a long way for them as well as they tried to integrate with one another. And I think that's a testament to her. And I think creating a great defense basically from the jump with a roster that even though there are parts of it, whether that's especially, you know, three through five in the starting lineup that, that have some defensive acumen, Vandersloot, Sabrina, Dolson, Johannes, Niara Sabali, none of those players are proven defensive commodities and, and they were able to play on a, a championship caliber defense despite that. So yeah, this, this series is going to be fantastic. And I really do think a lot of it will come down to 
chemistry, continuity, coaching, some of that stuff, because the talent is as close to even as you could possibly get it, I think. Move on to the real Lakers of Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron's team, the subject of a canceled HBO, HBO Max show, Max show, whatever. Um, Jeannie Buss, by the way, was on. I, Brendan, I find it. Cr- I would love to know why Jeannie Buss, like, was uh, how she was like, hey, I'm good with going on the show, on their official podcast at the end of season two. Like, fascinating. Then to unpack the Jeannie Buss. She looks good in Max. that show, so. Yeah, it's just like her dad does not come across, like, super great. It's admirable. There's too many scared uh, celebrities and yeah, athletes these days. It's just no, like, what's I mean, the harm? Yeah, it's yeah. a TV show, you know? Yeah, also, just like, let's talk about things, you know? Let's just have some conversations. Yeah, what's the harm? Like, John C. Riley was goofing around. Okay, your dad looks like, you know, a little bit of an a, adulterer, a little bit of a, you know, asshole maybe, but like, whatever. He's, he's not even around anymore, and I'd say his uh, legacy looks pretty nice with all the rafters, uh, how, the, how decorated the rafters are at Staples Center, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, he, he won. Yes. All right, let's go to our season preview of those Lakers, starting with the most important player. Brendan, I'm just going to say it. It's LeBron James. Like, I'm mm. sorry. Like, this, this team is still driven by LeBron. This team is still kind of going as far as LeBron can take it in a lot of ways. They need him to be healthy. They need him to be healthy when it matters. They need him to be able to sustain a very high level of play at a minute's total and an age that has just historically never been done. They need him to be something spectacular. If they're going to maximize this title window, maximize them getting there, maximize this season, it's kind of on LeBron's shoulders again in a way that I don't know if he really wants it to totally be at this point of the career, but I think just what AD is, what LeBron is, what the rest of the roster is, I, I really, really think you're in a spot where LeBron is still the most important player for these Lakers. I don't agree. I don't okay. think me, I don't think last wrong. year's team was I don't think last year's team was driven by LeBron being at his peak. Um, I don't, but I, I think don't, it's okay, I, I think this peak. is Anthony Davis. I think that no, I don't. Okay. I don't know if you did say peak. I'm just I don't yeah. think this team was where it was last year because of LeBron. I think there are moments like Game Four against the Nuggets or. The various points in, you know, six, six minute increments that he just turns it on and of course is still a game changing player. I think the, de- the way that they played defense might have been possible because of Anthony Davis, but it was also uh, at its best because in part of LeBron and the way that he was just straight up, like not even really guarding anybody at times in the playoffs and was just kind of the... As long as you don't fully lose track of anybody out there, you're allowed to just sag into the paint and and try to ter- create turnovers or, or be a helper at the basket or whatever. And then, of course, the offense, even, uh, you know, even though he was settling for jumpers quite a bit and all the rest, he showed that he still has has a lot left. Um, but he, this is a guy who had a, a significant injury down the stretch of the season who you should expect to have a significant injury down the stretch of most seasons. And if you look at the on-off um, in the playoffs, both LeBron and AD on plus four, LeBron on Davis off minus 11, mm-hmm. AD on LeBron off plus four, and then both off, which was only 45 minutes, but plus 13. So, 
to me, the way that Darvin Ham has put together this defense, the way that um, Rob Polinka has put together the roster with a lot of defensive versatility and big perimeter forwards and wings that can that can guard multiple positions. They're going to go as far as their defense takes them, in my opinion. And as a result of that, they're going to go as far as Anthony Davis takes them. That's that's the I, case as I would make it. I think that's a really good argument. I think you're you're probably correct. I just can't see a version of this season where they win the title and LeBron isn't able to carry the offense enough through that stretch run. If He, it, he needs to be healthy enough to get there. He just has to be healthy enough for him to get okay, there. Okay, setting health aside... Because that is an obvious thing to say about the Lakers and LeBron and Anthony Davis. If they're both healthy, if they are both clearly playing the best basketball of their lives, which I think we would agree they probably have to do to leapfrog the teams that I think you and I both see as ahead of them. Let's say everything breaks right. Is LeBron the first best player on this team or the second, let's say most important, first or second most important player on the absolute pinnacle of what the Lakers can be this year? Health a hundred percent, no issues. They both play seventy games. What? Where is the hierarchy? What's the pecking order? How's the value breakdown for you in that version of events? Because the health is like, of course. Yeah, I well, I would just say there's no way LeBron can play the best basketball he's ever played. That's just not going to happen again. That that no, part of it, not the best basketball he's ever played. The best basketball he's capable of. Okay. Um. I I think like. It's probably a D because I think he's going to have two more two more two way responsibility. I think that's pro- that's I think part of it. I think can I can, I'm going to caveat myself. AD regular season, LeBron playoffs. Okay. I think the the what I will give you on the AD part is um despite the fact that I think he played one of his best postseasons and was mm-hmm. just relentless getting to the basket, was relentless as a rebounder, made more of his mid-range shots at least in both the regular season and playoffs than he had the previous year and looked a little closer to his bubble self as a result of that, he did wear down. And so I do think like it's probably picking nits to even put one or the other ahead because I think you know it's fitting we each picked one of them because I think it's the season doesn't max out unless both are are awesome um but I I, I do like Caleb Martin we would have been full of it you know I think we just would have been we're, we're, we're just forcing the issue wait Caleb Martin one of these two guys or not Caleb Martin um I'm saying if Austin Reeves one of these I'm just saying, if we hadn't picked anyone that wasn't LeBron or AD, I think you're just like yeah. lying to yourself. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I do. You feel better about Davis's ability to be what we're talking about, or what I'm making the case he has to be now than you did coming off of the previous season? Because I do think he kind of proved that the bubble wasn't a fluke. He can still do it, whatever it is. And also the, the chunk of the regular season that he had too, especially with LeBron out. If I'm in the Lakers front office, I'm like, all right, like we're kind of back on track with Anthony Davis in a way that I think a lot of people wondered if if we would ever get back to, frankly. It is the most optimistic I have felt about him coming off the playoff run in a long time. No mm-hmm. question, right? No question that this is the, the, the best I think I felt about AD since the end of the bubble. I, I don't think there's any debate that this is the, the most optimism I think anyone could have about AD right now. 
do you see them but, as this? The, we're going to get to best case and worst case, but I said that they're a, a little bit of a tier below. Do you think of them that way? Like, do you see them as like below Denver, below Phoenix? Is it equal? Yes. All three of them are in the same tier. How 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 do you evaluate it? My A plus tier would be Bucks, Celtics, Nuggets. That's my like. Those are the three best teams in the league right now. Suns and Lakers are then, and the Warriors probably are, are the next three in their own little conjunction. I think that's the mm-hmm. tier, and I think the I think I would have the Suns fourth, probably. Just I need to see it a little bit. Just need to see how it looks the first fifty games, twenty five games before like you see it. Warriors again, you got to see the Chris Paul part of it, and Draymond's already twisted his ankle. Just like them to stay healthy, obviously caveat there, and then the Lakers. It's let's I I I think it things could break for them in a way that opens the door, but I think they need a little bit of help in the way that the teams, particularly at the very very top, don't need something to to break in their direction. All right. Who do you have as the guy we're going to be talking about at the end of the season? I want it. The roster is a little bit tricky because like, I think the, the, the answer you could just go here is like Austin Reeves. I think there's been (laughs) plenty of Austin Reeves talk. Yeah. That's my point. It's like, okay, you can't like pick the, he's just on the freaking national team. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I, I don't have like a good, feel for this um i almost mm. i i think it's my my gut is i want to just like pick one of the random young guys that's gonna pop and i don't have a great idea of like how to to signal out like is you know is um jalen hood Shafino just like gonna be good it's right? max like, christie if it's their young guys yeah that's who i had so i so i go with him as well just because I, it's the young guy that's actually been around a little bit longer he's got the frame but it is straight. This is straight projection. Like to be clear, like anything we're picking here, forty-one games last year, twelve point five minutes a game. Shot 42 percent from three. It's good, but it's mm-hmm. like incredibly small sample sizes for him at the NBA level. Again, love the frame. They have a need for this kind of player, like desperately on this roster. But I it I think it's absolutely a little bit of projection. Good in summer league. I, I like what we saw in summer league, but I think Well that's why I would say there. it's it's yeah, of course it is, but I think what he showed at summer league was probably one of the biggest standouts of the whole tournament, frankly. Like I think I think good at summer league almost kind of undersells it. Like he was he's pretty great at summer league, you know. Um he had, you know, nineteen assists to eleven turnovers, fifty five percent from three he was uh, 18 of 39, so just under 50% from two, and getting to the basket, getting 31 free throw attempts in 160 minutes. Um, a lot of really positive indicators that he's ready to break out. But, I mean, everything with the young guys is projecting until all of a sudden they're doing it. That's kind of the spirit of this category, right? You know, it's like, who's the guy that hasn't done it that might? So... I think if you're looking at this roster, to your point, it, it's like Rui Reeves. We talked about those guys. They're not really breakout candidates. Torian no. Prince, like, okay, we know. Vanderbilt, we know. Like, there's some ifs and, and question marks with those guys, but it's not as if they're going to, like, blow things up, uh, blow up out of nowhere. So I'm curious what you – you said that they desperately need a, a guy like this. What role do you think he could play if, if he does – 
kind of break out because I actually that was one of the things holding me back a little bit from naming him is I'm like three and D like I guess he has a little bit better defensive upside than Reeves probably a better more consistent shooter if if he really breaks right than some of their other guys but like I actually don't know what the pathway into the rotation is for him unless there's a trade but what do you think I I just think like shooting and eating minutes and being another option just if and when some of these guys don't work out like like Cam Reddish might not be playable Caleb Martin like like, like there could be some issues with this roster you keep saying Caleb Martin he's not on this team who am I? Who am I? Who am I mixing? You're thinking of the Heat because we Gabe talked about the Heat with Wes. Yeah, I'm thinking, Gabe, I'm Gabe Vincent, Vincent. different yeah, Heat player. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just my brain's fried. Like, like you can have the situation where like some of these guys just don't perform in the way you need them to. I like, I look at Reddish. I look at I look at this roster and it's just like it's like okay, it's Tor- are we sure 100 percent Torian Prince? I know they're not exactly the same thing, but like this Torian Prince, mm-hmm. like he was available on the cheap for a reason. Right, like it's not like any of the necessarily these guys they've gotten are their order. Like, do they trade D'Lo? And like they're just like, okay, we need to plug in like guard minutes. Like you make some kind of trade that's a little more tilted for size. And all right, it's time for for Max Christie stuff. Like, there's always just a, the NBA season will dictate something for you mm-hmm. that someone is going to have to step up and you don't expect it. And it's really hard for us to project like what that's going to look like, why it happens, even who it's going to be. But if someone like Christie's going to pop or at least get a run, it's because like he can shoot and he can eat minutes and he's got good size to like maybe guard a couple spots that like that to mm-hmm. me is projectable in a way that these other guys are not like like I kind like you could have been like man Jackson Hayes gets a real boost getting like a uh, playing with LeBron as a as a as his pick and roll ball handler eh eh you know like Reeves is what he is I don't I don't have any faith that this is finally where Cam Reddish is like, yeah I don't think Reddish player. is gonna play so I I think Christie's already ahead of him in the pecking order um is Christie yeah clutch, it'll be interesting like Cam Reddish is I could, you know. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, if it w- they drafted him, so if it was, it would have been, you know. Yeah. So the, the, the other one in the same. The, the other thing I will just say, I think about Christie, just to re, I just reinforced to me that this is somewhat of a projection. Do you know how many G League games he's played? Uh, I could. I mean, this? I'm on his real GM page, but I think you said he played 41 in the NBA, so I don't think he was in the G League very much last year. Played one. So it's just like the NBA minutes are not like... Wait, I'm seeing 13. No, his basketball reference page has one. Basketball reference is weird with G League and and like Summer League and stuff like that. That is weird that it's such a big discrepancy. Yeah, South Bay Lakers, 13 games played is what it says on Real GM. But his numbers are not great in those games either. So either way, I mean, 13 is not a lot. He had 387 total minutes, shot 29% from three. So like you're not going to point to that to be like, this is the year. No, okay. So the G, official G League site has 13 as well. Basketball reference, love you, but please. I want to have one page. That should actually just be, honestly, the G League stuff should just be on like their page. They should just be like a carve out of like, this is their G League stats. Basketball reference has a lot more NBA numbers uh, than anywhere else, but uh, G, Real GM is nice because it does have it. It has college, international, G League, and NBA all in one place. It's actually funny with him, though, because if you do look at the college, he did not shoot well there either, so... It, it would be a pretty big breakout for him to suddenly like be lights out from, from behind the arc. 
If if he is that though, like that that's a, that's also just the kind of role player that LeBron and AD need. And you could. See it's like, like the KCP games. role, right? Yes, it's, it's that for for what they were in the bubble. Yeah, um, it's it's gonna it's gonna be interesting because they do sort of need not need, but it would be nice if like one of the young guys kind of broke out between Hayes, Reddish, and Christie. It would just make them a little little deeper a little more frisky on on both ends of the floor a little less reliant on like vanderbilt or you know uh, prince like you said but want to go to best lineup yeah uh there i think this is pretty straightforward okay so last year in the regular season they because of the trades no lineup played more than like 290 possessions together i think was the most or so yeah. like just shy of 300 but the best one did come after the re- the deadline which makes sense because that's when their season really turned around and it was what you would guess it was their starting lineup in the playoffs which was russell reeves vanderbilt lebron davis but in the playoffs their best actual overall lineup even though it wasn't always their starting lineup schroeder reeves Rui, lebron ad so I think that's kind of the template. I agree with you. I didn't have to think crazy hard about this one, but I'll let you go first. Reeves, Vincent, LeBron, pick one of your forwards. I would lean Rui for the offense, but I think you could tell me Vanderbilt is the right pick, and I wouldn't fight you too hard on it because it gives you some really good LeBron defensive cover. Although, again, Rui played out of his mind last year, and then it's AD. The template here is to play really big to be really big at guards, to trust Reeves' playmaking, to grow, to trust Vincent as a guy that can play within the cog of this machine in the way he did in Miami, for LeBron to be LeBron, and to just have a really, really big front line and to be a, to be a bully of a team in that way and to lean into that and have AD at the five. Even with the other centers you got to eat some innings and play with him at times, I'm sure. It's about Eddie at the five, and it's about embracing what that offers you and pairing it with all this other size at the other spots. And D'Lo's going to have his role. I don't think he's in their best five when it comes down to it either. No, I I don't think so. Um, the fact that Reeves took a leap and that they made a choice to replace Schroeder with Vincent makes me think they don't fully buy that. And um, as much as I, I mean, he's, like... He's on a tradable contract. Like he's he's pretty clearly on one of those deals that if it's yeah. traded in February, it's like yeah, I get it. Yeah, which sucks for him. Like I I do at a certain point feel for guys who he's yes. really not as terrible as on defense as people like to make it out. His focus wanes. He doesn't play through screens very well. All that stuff. But like there's a reason he just got 16 million. I think you know he's one of those guys that gets talked about like he's just like a complete joke. And I think that does kind of suck for him. But they signed him for the purpose of trading him. Like we can just kind of be realistic at the same time. But uh, my best lineup for the 2024 Los Angeles Lakers. I have gave Vincent as well. I think that he is going to be somebody who really just fills the shooter role. But ideally is a little bit of a better shooter can pass it enough not going to get into the paint the same way but that's okay i have austin reeves i think that he is really as he showed exactly what this team needs as far as a 
tough bucket getter, a guy who can get to the free throw line. He can play within their defense enough to make it work. I have Rui Hachimura as well. I think he, I buy the shooting. I buy the fact that he is a competent offensive player. I think that that was not a fluke. It was a breakout, but that doesn't mean it's not repeatable. And I think it will be. And I think his defense is actually pretty valuable to them too. LeBron James, of course, Anthony Davis, of course, those guys are going to be the end all be all for this team at the end of the day. But I like that five for them as far as carrying over their identity from last year and uh, being able to get the job done on both ends for sure. Um, I don't really know. I've seen some chatter on Lakers Twitter, Chris, about the idea of Torian Prince potentially starting or closing. And I think the idea there is maybe if Rui just actually doesn't hit, that you kind of have insulation at that almost identical role, really. And... I guess I can see that, but it already feels like if if Rui is that disappointing so quickly, then you're kind of already screwed in a way. So I, yeah. I don't I don't think I can convince myself on that one fully. Yeah, Torin Prince is there to give you different big wing options. He is not there to be like your best option to play that role. Yeah, you paid Rui Hachur like to quote Mad Men. That's what the mo- that's what the money is for. The money is for Rui to like be that dude do you buy it what we saw from him i mean what he did from the trade deadline through the end of the playoffs was something like just straight up we've never even come close to seeing from him i'm always a little skeptical of those like in-season turnarounds but what i will say is that his willingness to chase that out speaks volumes to the possibility that it's real i think if that just kind of like happened and it was just kind of like a fluke you would kind of like know because it's like, oh, he's not really playing that way. It just kind of like happened and it's more of like a numbers thing. When you watched him, it felt like it was a guy who was like actually in like a environment he was invested in and in a team that was kind of invested in him and he understood his role. And you hear, you will hear until forever NBA veterans talk about like you find your place in the league and I'm paraphrasing various people. You find your place in the league when you, when you, when you figure out that like what your role is and get and accept that role. And if this is what that is, then I don't really, I, I think there should be a lot of optimism that he can be something like he was last year. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. And I think the fact that he didn't play for Japan, like even something small like that, and he was pretty vocal about like, hey, I want to keep figuring this thing out in LA and getting better. And I, I will play in the Olympics, but I'm not going to go kind of waste my time at FIBA. Like that, that felt cool to me too. He obviously had the time away from the wizards the the prior season with mental health and whatever and like you know if he's in a better place there i think a lot of things align to feel like you know at some point it happens for guys and i don't see why it couldn't have been that way for him um best case scenario i have a championship same it's it's the the ceiling is there is it the likeliest opportunity here but a championship is is the best case for this team Worst case, I, go ahead. I like how they match up with the Suns. That's what I was going to say. I think that they are a team that has the physicality, size, and if the Suns are able to just make it kind of a shootout, I think that's where it gets ugly. But I don't really think the Lakers are going to let teams make game shootouts. I think that their defense mm-hmm. is, is just pretty real. So I think that that's a team that they could could actually give some trouble too so i don't hate you saying uh that they're on the same tier i i kind of do you know watch out uh, you know there might be some sort of uh 
explosive in your mailbox or something at some point for for that comment but otherwise uh i i hear you i i think that they do match up well the nuggets kind of a different story but you know it's conversation for a different time worst case i just had another year lost to injuries oh did you want to respond to the explosive did you want to my death threat there did you want to address that <laughs> you, know, you know i was gonna just say wait until you i wait until you hear how how brennan just you know i'm i'm pretty much like ready to like bury the calves when we get to the preview a little bit <laughs> okay just, all right so I can't do any more damage to you than your team has already done. Is that kind of what? Is that what you're saying? No, no. Here's the thing. That's not the. If you if you're gonna hurt me, you would you would like get the English like football Feder- football association, the FA, to like give Liverpool mm. back the points from from the weekend. That would hurt me. Mm. Okay. That's that. So you're just detached. You're you're cruising. Yeah, like that's not the thing that can emotionally wound me. Okay. That that but yeah are, like, I. If you're like, I actually think Kobe is better than LeBron, then like we might not be friends anymore. Well, uh, our our video editor and social media uh, hype man can address that separately with He's you. He's wrong. He's wrong if it's this week. But look, worst look, worst case is injuries, and then they end up in like the playing again and have to like muck through it. Because mm-hmm. then there's zero, there's zero percent chance they're ending up as like the seventh seed and like pulling this off. They need they are in this weird spot where they need LeBron to like almost like play a ton and for them to maximize the regular season so they don't have a, like the hardest path possible in the playoffs. They are definitely a team where we talk about a lot in this, you know, era of the NBA and whatever that the regular season has kind of been discounted and this and that. But I think, you know, they should absolutely chase a high seed and the fewer games that they have to go through in order to make another finals or a conference finals would go an incredibly long way. Um, I'm looking it up now. This team was... A 43-win team with the expected win of of 42 last year, but after the All-Star break, they were as good as the second-best net rating team in the NBA, which is your Cleveland Cavaliers, and that's they were a 51-win team. So you know the the post-All-Star break Lakers were a, like a 50-win team. Yeah, they're good. And so another de- another season of playing together, a deeper roster. I think a if if they even get decent health from their superstar players, like a higher seed is definitely within reach, and they should chase it. You know, I I, w- I would advocate for them playing their guys and really valuing the regular season in a way that I might not otherwise. Which is why I went over forty seven and a half. What did you have? I'm I'm going over as well. I think this team is good enough. I think again, health provided there's not really a reason this team should win between like 50 and 53 games. And I think even if LeBron like only plays like 65, they could still pretty reasonably do this with the other talent they have. Like AD plus the talent they have is enough to beat a lot of crappy teams in the NBA. Yeah, I think the one thing you would say is there's no replacing Davis, but they don't exactly give you a lot of faith that when Davis inevitably misses some number of games, even if it's not a ton, that he will, that they will suffer. Yeah. They don't have another defensive center on the roster. They don't really have a front court rotation to be excited about. Christian Wood is a big wild card, I guess. If he finally hits, you know, eight years into his career, then things could look different. But um, yeah, the, the Davis injury caveat is is has to be there. As does LeBron one, but. I still think 
I still like the over because um, they they turned it around, but it's not exactly like LeBron and AD were like a picture of health last year. No, I don't think you can ever assume they're going to be a picture of health. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm saying is like they were still solid enough yeah, really post All Star yeah. break and overall, despite a season like that. So even if you guess that that happens again. I kind of trust them to, to kind of adapt and figure that out in a way, again, kind of like we were saying with Davis overall that I would have worried about prior to kind of them proving it. So, yeah, I, this team's going to be one of my favorites to watch, I think, this year. Top three team get, that gets annoyed by the NBA's rest policy, the Los Angeles Lakers? <laughs> I think their uh, actual injury history with both of their stars, they're going to, and the fact that they're the Lakers and LeBron James is one of the stars, kind of think the NBA is going to let them so some PPE you know, loans is what you the PPE PPE loans to cover the the fines is what you're telling me. I'm, uh, maybe, but I'm saying probably no fines. Okay. I'm saying yeah, you I, know the league probably lets them do their thing because it's like Anthony Davis is an actual health risk as is LeBron and uh, you know you don't want to mess with that. Well, but all, all we'll I see. ask is I get LeBron in Cleveland after Thanksgiving. Then if you want to take off a month, go ahead, my guy, live your life. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's get him for opening. Uh, I think they play opening night against the Suns. Let's let's have let's see yeah, how that goes. That. That's fun. Yeah. And let's then let's get that. Let's get like a good like six eight weeks. Like you know, get the first mm-hmm. month out of the way. Then it's like okay, back to Dennis Schroeder's doctor in Germany for like a week. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's end there. It's been the Just Basketball Show for October 2nd. I'm Chris Manning. That's Brinkley. Back at you later this week with more season previews, WME Finals preview, and. Maybe more. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll get some other just random trades. Or me, me, we're, we're surely going to get at least. Where's one Malcolm Brogdon going? It's everybody's <laughs> waiting with bated breath. Uh, yes, honestly, useful player for a team that wants to give up yeah. first. Also, we're going to we're going to get some out of pocket media day comments, Brendan. Someone's going to say mm-hmm. something weird. A lot of money on Joel Embiid. Whatever his odds are on the out of pocket media day comments, put some money on Joe because it's happening. Yeah, nuke that on your betting app of choice. All right, talk to you all later this week.